Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. As always, my name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Traitor is a German thrash metal band who just released their fourth full-length album, Exile to the Surface, on July 8, 2022. Traitor was formed in 2004 and released their first full-length album in 2012 after a few name changes. Tom Angel Whipper makes a guest appearance on Exile to the Surface. The album references X-Files, Star Trek, and, in an interesting twist, Traitor has covered George Michael's Careless Whisper. Traitor's bassist and geophysicist, Lawrence Kandalf, joins me today to speak a bit more about the band, his metal experiences, and his other life path. Lawrence, it's great to meet you, and thank you for joining me. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Gyro Nation Metal. Thank you for having us. No problem. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule, and so let's jump right in, I guess. So the first thing that caught my eye was your career path. So geophysics and metal doesn't seem like two worlds that would regularly meet. So what interested you in that field? Well, you know, I started studying in 2012, I think, and I wanted to become a teacher. So it was okay. like in the end of my uh, studies and you have to do uh, in Germany like a Staatsexamen. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to do that for the graduation. And I was like, ah, I have to learn all that shit again. <laughs> and I was like just switching to bachelor and master. I uh, did my thesis there and yeah, graduated with a master of science in geophysics mm -hmm. and used to work as an engineer and I was in the field with uh, solar energy, uh, wind energy and all the stuff. And um, after a while, I realized I can live with and from music and then I changed everything. But, you know, it's, it was like a long path and it doesn't uh, happen like overnight. So I used to play music uh, since I was 13, I think. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it was just a development. And after that, you, I could join uh, different bands. You get different kinds of income. And now I'm just in the music industry. So that's all right. And I can always get back if I want to. Awesome. So how long did your schooling take? Well, I think it was something like six years, seven years. Sounds pretty complicated. Like you were talking about uh, the master's program and everything. It mm. must be pretty intense. Well, you know, it's you start just um, reading stuff about climate change, about geophysics. You're in there like 24-7 and somehow you just get used to it. And uh, in the master's, it's like different. You don't have to learn like up from the peak, you know, like all uh, the physics and do the math stuff. Uh, after so you're just writing like your thesis and your... Uh, do some studies, some field studies, and so that wasn't too complicated. But I think I wouldn't like to do it again. You know, I've been through <laughs> that. <laughs> Fair enough. For somebody looking to get into geophysics, um, what are some subjects that you should uh, that you would recommend um, to familiarize yourselves with? You should be like able to do some calculations at least. Mm -hmm. um, you should feel familiar with some general physics. And um, you should be open to be a lot in the field, like on oh. any weather. <laughs> oh, fair. Yeah, that would be uncomfortable, like in the freezing cold or the... Yeah, exactly. Did, uh, I was in Greenland twice to do some researches. Nice. First time, I think it was 2015. And uh, second time, 2016. And I did my bachelor thesis about Western Greenland and uh, soil, like the soil science uh, in, in Greenland. And did all like the carbonation, nitrogen, and cycles and all stuff. Nice. So you get a good chance to travel then with being involved in geophysics. Then. Yeah. Uh, I used to work like three months in Iran and did okay. some geomagnetic too. 
And yeah, that was fun too. And like a great experience, like to, to experience that country in a whole, on, on a whole lot of November. So mm. that was pretty interesting and uh, super nice human people. And uh, the, the countryside is super exciting and uh, I can recommend it. A totally different climate from Greenland though. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have very much knowledge about geophysics. Um, and when I was looking it up online, it's a broad term that basically explores like the earth and its physical processes yeah. and properties, gravitational and magnetic fields, uh, fields, sorry, internal composition, plate tectonics. So where do your specific interests or expertise lie? Uh, in soil science and okay. uh, especially in climate change. So you all get, Even um, like the, the soil nutrition and how does carbon, nitrogen, sulfur and all, and all the stuff like uh, is affecting the climate and the, the surrounding. Like this was my specific stuff. And if you're like super interested in it, you can watch it on YouTube. There's a documentary about it. Okay, cool. And it's called um, uh, The Earth Shape Project and uh, The Skin of the Earth. Okay. So you can go with that. I'll definitely be doing that. So with your with your work, um, what are some of the applications that your studies can assist with? And why is this information important? Like, um, It's important because we're like in the middle of the climate change. Mm. So you, you can say, of course, you had some heat waves in the path. And that's true, of course. But um, the human impact is, is way bigger nowadays than, than it used to be in the past. So um, I'm concentrating on a lot of solar panels to build that, to have like green energy and to give that all rolling with our society. But that's like a little bit of a problem because politicians won't listen to uh, the scientists. And, you know, that's like a, a big trouble somehow. It's also not surprising for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised either. I feel like the only people they listen to are themselves, but uh, I'm just generalizing as well. Yeah, sadly. Actually, I've heard, uh, I've heard good things about... Um, okay, so what is the title of Germany's... Is it Prime Minister or is it President? Uh, Bundeskanzler. Um, I've heard good things about her. Uh, it's a new one. It's uh, Olaf Scholz now. Uh, it used to be Angela Merkel. Yeah. But um, Merkel isn't the Bundeskanzler of Germany. Of Germany right now, so and we've got Olaf Scholz, uh, Scholz, and I don't get so much news about him. He's just being a quiet guy, and don't know what he's doing about the climate. When did he take office? Um, this year. Okay, so brand new. Uh, no, I, I should know that, but, but, but I'm a little stupid, so I think <laughs> it was in April or something. Interesting. So, what happened to uh, Angela then? Uh, she retired. She did, it for the, she did that for 16 years. Yes, she was uh, voted in over and over again, and that was yeah. something. It was overwhelming, from what I understand. Yeah, you know, it was a different kind of political party than nowadays. She was in the CDU. It's like Christian Democratical Union. And now we've got the SPD. It's like the Social Party, the FDP. It's like the, the Liberals and mm -hmm. the Greens. They like the eco stuff. So it should almost be something that is, is right up your alley with climate change and uh, green or clean energy. Yeah, it should, should be, be. Should but be. they don't <laughs> like doing a lot about it. So, so it's, uh, it's still interesting, like what's going to happen. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, maybe maybe he's taking a step back just to see where everything is and taking uh, taking note of everything before he puts anything into place. Maybe, but I would love to get like uh, insights at the head of Olaf Scholz, like what he's thinking, because we got a lot of crisis. I mean, uh, think about the one in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We still got the climate change. We get a huge inflation in Germany right now. Like gas prices are exploding, and there is somehow a lot of heat mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 for, for the people and in the country. So it's going to be like, I don't know, there's, there's some tension. Definitely. And it seems like that it's going to be an uphill battle, regardless of how good or bad he is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I've also read that uh, geophysics can assist with things like infrastructures, like utility, utility mapping within cities and forensics, um, dam safety. What are some other applications that uh, geophysics could apply to? Um, you can use it like in every field. Um, I did some geomagnetic in, in Iran, which I told you before, mm-hmm. and uh, supported some archaeology guys. And they were like, like looking for some uh, old mosques in the south of Iran, and so we f- found them actually, and that was fun because we did some mapping with drones, and then you get your device to like X-ray the soil, and you get different geomagnetic fields in it because uh, if you build some walls, and um, you bake like the stones, and they get a different geomagnetic field than the surrounding of them, and so you can make some X-rays out of it and after that you can say to the archaeology guys hey dude you should like uh, dig like two meter or more to the right or something like that so you can do that <laughs> with your with your uh, mapping like it's pretty precise like you can you yeah. can say two meters one way or you know if, yeah you do about, that with a dif- differential uh, gps yeah. and i think it's uh, has an accuracy about um 15 centimeters I don't know how much is that in your system because you don't have the metric system. So <laughs> some inches. <laughs> you know what? Uh, we definitely use a, a, a whole combination of like everything, it seems. But yeah, we're familiar with centimeters, inches, everything. So okay. what kind of specific software do you use for like your your uh, your soil work? Um, it's from Astrid. Okay. You do some GIS. Mm-hmm. It's like geographical information system with that and there are some different providers but the best one is like esri there's qgis it's open source and for the archaeology stuff you use like uh, what was it called archifusion there was something and um yeah there are just different programs for them they are somehow working nearly the same but uh you get your preference with that okay and this is just an assumption, but like when you when you do take the soil samples uh, and kind of use the software, I guess does it does it give you like the composition of the soil and like what um, what chemicals, I guess, or what elements are in it? Yeah, I have to do that in the lab. So actually, you can think about it like this: um, somewhere uh, over the world, like I'm going into the field and I, I dig, I'm digging a hole, a big hole. I'm sitting like for a few, for five hours in the hole, and after that, I'm coming back <laughs> to the surface and say like that's good dirt and that's bad dirt, <laughs> like something <laughs> like that. So you just take like the samples yeah. and then you do your lab work. Mm. So you get like um, a CNS that's like for nitrogen, um, carbon and sulfur. You um, 
get like like the amount of it in the soil and all the natural elements in, in it and you can say if it's like a fertile soil and, or maybe they got some i don't know like like some i don't know like some some bad battery acid in it or something like to, you can get it out of it do you generally work by yourself or do you have like a small team that you uh consistently work with no i used to work as a freelancer okay so i just um picked like the nicest jobs for me so and <laughs> wow. back in the days i was like all the time uh over to the uk yep like in ireland scotland england i uh, was in morocco in tundra nice. uh, a lot of in eastern germany Mm-hmm. Like in Thüringen, something like that, uh, and yeah, yeah you, you just pick your jobs. Okay. Out of all the places you've been, where's your favorite place to travel? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, that's the good thing of, about touring. So um, you see a lot of cities you never would visit on your own, mm-hmm. and I think like a whole touring like is the most and nicest thing to do. Because you always meet new people, you'll be in a city, maybe a new country. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's like the perfect thing for me. But um, I think I really want to go back to Greenland. Yeah. Because Greenland was awesome. That's like like the nature and, and the animals there. And it's just breathing. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be. You can do that too. <laughs> and so how long have you been in that field for? Um... I think I've worked there professionally for three years and somehow it always uh, crashed with my plannings and my schedules with the music. So I had to decide what to do. And obviously you were a fan of metal when you started this journey uh, for geophysics. So when did you start to get into metal and how did you start learning the bass? I think I started listening to metal with 11, 12, something Mm -hmm. like that. So around the same time you started bass then? Yeah, it was pretty early, if I found, if I remember that correctly. So my dad used to be also a bass player in a, in the first German funk indie rock group. They were called Me and the Others. Okay. And it was like, I think, 65, 68, something like that. And he used to be a bass player too. So there was a lot of music always around the house. And my bigger brother, he used to be like super into black metal. Mm-hmm. And I don't really like black metal because uh, <laughs> it's so grim <laughs> and I'm more like the happy guy, you know. <laughs> and yeah, like after some bands and, and some more listening to different genres, I, I fell in love with, with the music. And I think it's the end of the story and I'm here still, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in a household where it's like indie, indie rock, how did your how did your parents react to you getting into metal? Oh, they were pretty cool about it because um, I used to live at my dad's house. Mm-hmm. So my, my parents got divorced like uh, in a very early age of mine. And my dad, he used to listen to Motorhead, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, like all the stuff. And so you got like schooled with uh, handmade music. And he was happy for me because I got that interest. And uh, I think he was also happy about it because I went was not fooling around and, and getting drunk all the time. I'm just in the basement playing basement, uh, playing bass in the basement. And yeah, it was just like a development. He always supported me with, with that, but he was always very serious 
about um, your professional way, like take a good job, study. You don't know if this works out. Mm -hmm. And I did both. And so I can decide what uh, I want to do. <laughs> so that's the good thing about it. <laughs> did you end up learning bass from your dad or? Yeah. No, I'm self-taught. Okay. But actually I took some lessons uh, with Alex Webster from Canon mm -hmm. He used to do that like some years ago. And uh, yeah, I'm, he's a big influence of my playing. How did you get involved with him? It was something, uh, it was in a base forum. There was a guy just um, sharing some links and he did some clinics, like Alex Webster did, did some clinics mm -hmm. and you could apply for it. And I just asked and maybe I was the lucky guy. The lucky guy. Yeah. And uh, I had like three lessons from him. And after that, but it was like, like the, I was 20 or something. So but, but then first, when I, I learned it myself, I was just listening to music, which I like, and tried to copy that. Did you, um, why did you choose bass as opposed to say guitar or drums? <laughs> My uh, bigger brother used to play bass okay. and he was more interested in learning guitar. Mm. So I was like, yeah, maybe I want to learn guitar too. But you can't choose the same instrument than your bigger brother. <laughs> bigger brother. So I thought that that's like a natural choice to uh, uh, play bass because there's a bass in the house. So I just did it. <laughs> Have you ever learned to play guitar as well? Yeah, I can play guitar too. Okay. But not like that super shreddy stuff. Mm. More like sitting next to a bonfire and do that accord stuff for, for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> So, what were some of the first bands that you got, or first metal bands that you got into? Um, I think it was Slayer, Molded, Legion of the Damned, and Disbelief. Okay. So, and when Slayer it? was like, first listen, I was like, oh, that's like disgusting. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's like nasty stuff. <laughs> but after some re-listenings, it was super good. And that's like, uh, actually, the end of story just got hooked. Yeah, it seems like that with pretty much everyone at first. It's hard to, I don't want to say hard to stomach, but at first you don't really know what to think, but then you just jump down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And before you know it, you're listening to basically everything under the sun. Yeah, right. <laughs> now you said you uh, stay away from black metal generally, but what are some of your favorite genres? Um, actually, I'm, I'm listening to everything because um, I see me as, myself as a musician. Mm -hmm. So everything which sounds good, I listen to it. And I also listen to black metal now, and but I don't have like, oh, yeah, there's a new Demo Borgia or a new Immortal or something. I have to listen to that. It's just more on the fly. Mm, it's kind of like when it comes your way, you just take a listen. Yeah, much. and I really can appreciate it. So um, I'm not like the guy, ah, oh, it's not fresh metal. I won't listen to it mm -hmm. because there's so much good music out there and you're going to miss out on that. Mm -hmm. Who are some of your current favorite bands? My current favorite bands. Um, I was in Hamburg last week for some gigs. And when we traveled there, uh, we listened to Inhumane Condition. Mm -hmm. I think that was the name. They were pretty good. It's like death metal, fresh metal. Mm -hmm. um, I listened to the new Razor before our interview. That was pretty cool. And I also listened to the new Megadeth. But that was like more mediocre for 
for me it's like uh, I'm still not getting in love with the sound of Dave Mustaine. So you're you're not a fan of Megadeth per se. I wouldn't say that. I really appreciate their music and what they've been doing since the 80s. Mm -hmm. But um, if I have to choose between the big four, I would say it's Slayer, um, Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth. Interesting. The reason I ask is because I'm not really... I'm not a huge fan of Megadeth. Like like you, I appreciate their music. So I was uh, my next follow-up question would have been, how does this album compare to some of their older stuff? I think uh, if you listen to that, Dystopia album was the last one, I think, before the new one. And that Dystopia album, they had a good production, but there was a lot of serious, like, chuck, 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 all the time. Mm. And the new Megadeth is, like, more back to the roots. They're just writing more. And that's, like, nice. But uh, I thought the whole album wasn't as good as Dystopia. Okay. But that's only my my personal choice. So, seems like the reviews that I've seen over whether it be social media, people that I've been talking to over time, they've just kind of they've had very conflicting ideas. Like some people say it's more close to their older stuff, and that's why they like it. But then some people just say that it's not it's not what they could have done. It's not as good as it could have been. Maybe I don't know. It's it's they they first some mastermind behind it. Mm-hmm. So I think he did does all the writing duties and uh, he's he's just gonna talk to the other guys like yeah you have to play like that i want it like this and mm-hmm. um, maybe it could be bigger if you let join the other guys mm-hmm. with the writing process and all stuff yeah if you have more of a collaboration than, than a one-person show probably yeah Germany has a long history of, of top-tier thrash metal, so some of the guys that come to my mind, like Destruction, Creator, um, Exhumer, and I just found out today that Tankard is a German as well. I'm not really familiar with their music, but... Um, with I bands should like listen these, to that Yeah? That's fun. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, with bands like these reaching like uh, worldwide fame, do you feel there's a bit more pressure on um, newer thrash metal bands? I don't know. They're, they're like more than 30, 40 years in the, into the business. Mm-hmm. So um, that's like very physical music, what they're playing. And I think it's getting hard to deliver how it should sound in your late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a natural process. So you're just going to step in there. But um, I don't feel like pressured. Mm-hmm. So we know all the guys from Creator, from Sodom too. We did a song with Sodom on the news uh, on the latest uh, album. We also did a song with Reset and Destruction together. Mm-hmm. So um, we know all the people. That's cool. And they're, they're, they're cool. They're, they're just like chill dudes. Years ago, I was in Seattle for a show with uh, Arsis, Destruction, and Sepultura. It was their 30th year anniversary tour for Schizophrenia. And I ended up meeting the singer for Destruction. I can't remember his name, but he was he was nice yeah. and super humble. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's huge. But, but uh, don't piss him <laughs> off. He can be a, like a super angry German guy. Ah, fair enough. I can see that for sure. <laughs> um, but he's he's nice. Um, I think they're they're touring right now in South America. Oh, that's cool. I think that would be one of my favorite things about being in a band is just touring across the world and just seeing so many different places. Yeah, I love that too. Because uh, uh, as I mentioned before, um, the best thing is you're, you're touring. You're gonna visit some different countries, some different mm-hmm. cities, and actually you wouldn't like go there on vacation or something. Mm-hmm. So you get like the whole cake. So that's a cool thing. 
Do you find that when you're touring, you don't really have a chance to enjoy the city or do you take some extra time to actually to use it as a vacation? Oh, it really depends. It's not like a vacation because you're like always on fire. You just got, got to the when you now you have to take care of all your equipment, um, put up the merchandise, and then there's sound check, and then you get dinner, and they are the first people, and then you're talking to them, and it's three o'clock in the morning, and then you have to go to the bus, and then the travel starts again. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get so much from the cities and the countries, but a lot of nice exchange with the guys who are living there. Mm -hmm. so, so that's cool well, and you get to meet a lot of cool fans too like everyone that that it comes to your show wants to see you and the other people on the bill so they're there for that reason specifically and of course like they're going to be excited to be there yeah yeah and i'm very humble about it because you're you're nothing without the fans mm -hmm. yeah exactly you guys are no stranger to like referencing pop culture and real world references. And so, like I stated in the intro, uh, this album has references to like X-Files and Star Trek um, in the songs 66 Exeter Street and Rurapente, uh, respectively. I don't know if I said that properly. Um, but you guys also have references to like Predator, Alien, The Exorcist and Doom references. So um, what other major references do you have you guys covered in your music? I think it's like a bit of everything. We did back in the day some historical stuff. And because we're doing fresh metal, we got songs about war, mm -hmm. and we got songs uh, about the church and religion. And like I think in 2015-16, we switched it a little bit. But uh, actually, our drummer is our main writer with the vocals. Okay. So he has the duties about it, and he's just like more interested nowadays with cartoons and old video games. <laughs> so <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like the subject. Like uh, a lot of bands seem to take themselves seriously and this isn't a bad thing. It's just that there is like either real world experiences or they talk about um, political things or what have you. It doesn't matter too much, but I kind of like the lighthearted nature of these references. Mm -hmm. so, so we did that um, with old cartoons and like, as you mentioned, that X-Files. And mm -hmm. um, I think Andy did it because he was just amazed by that cartoons and games and whatnot like back in the days mm -hmm. and uh if you like like watching like old cartoons like for children they're like also super violent <laughs> if you got like the, the prospect as an adult and not as a kid they're like really tough stories behind it that's true it's perfect for metal text <laughs> It's interesting that you mentioned that like it's uh, a lot darker than we than kids can see um some mm. of your more darker uh references are things like chernobyl ebola and the teutonic order so where did those choices come from um chernobyl like rector 4 was the song on the second long player on venomizer and i think andy had this text like somewhere on on, on, his, on his table mm. and it was like a backup for something and it was just like fitting for the song. And uh, there was like a very heavy event in Europe because you had that radiation all over. You had it especially uh, in Pripyat. Mm -hmm. And uh, like the Sweden, they, they uh, noticed in the air because of the pollution and you have had big troubles with it. And mm -hmm. I, I think there was like a nice subject to make a song about it. And Ebola was like a special thing uh, uh, about a friend of mine he used to or i think he's still uh, active as a 
um, uh, as a doctor, and uh, he did some research on, on Ebola, and we had like that chat about it, and was like, yeah, dude, Ebola is a fucking horrible uh, disease, mm-hmm. and that was perfect too for metal lyrics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So then you go from all these references to George Michael. Yeah. I had to say that confused the hell out of me, but it's pretty cool. So where did that cover come from? Um, we had a, a cover song on that Knee Deep in the Dead uh, album was the third one. And we did a cover from Ramones, mm-hmm. Blitzkrieg Pop. And this time Andy was interested to another cover. And uh, he was like, yeah, but we should take something out of the pop music like uh, from the 80s mm-hmm. and we are uh, super huge fans of the pop music from the 80s and Wham and especially George Michael is one of his treasures so it was like dude let's 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 do Carlos Whisper and uh, I was like yeah but we have to do an, uh, our own song with that and so we wrote our own song and just put the lyrics in it Mm-hmm. And also like that sex solo, what he has in that song by uh, by the I think it's it's a sex, not a horn or something. And we try to uh, incorporate it, incorporate it in in the song in the solo. And that was important for me. So you get the hint. I like it. I like when metal bands do covers. Um, I think they have it's cool when they when they when they take a song and just change it into their own thing. But it's cool because then you you already know the song, you know the lyrics, and you can sing along to it, even if you're not a fan of metal. Like some people yeah. might just be drawn to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's fun. You know, the that that song is gonna be like uh, um, hate it or love it. <laughs> yeah, and you can skip it because everybody knows like metalheads are saying, "Oh, we're super tolerant and we're listening to everything," but that's not the truth. <laughs> not there are a lot of like more conservative people in it. And we had some reviews with that, like, oh, you can do that, but you don't have to. And why did you do something like that? And my response was, it's fun, man. Yeah, It's just fun. <laughs> well, and it's your guys' music too. You're, you're making music that you enjoy. So if you want to do something and throw something like that on your album, by all means, yeah. there should be no problem with it. Yeah, and as I said, you can skip the song. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nobody's exactly. heard. Another thing that I, I want to add to that, though, too, is like a lot of metal musicians that I've chatted with, they, they take inspiration from so many genres of music. So I don't see why it's a, a, a huge departure from what they normally do to create some like a cover of something from pop or another genre of music. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing. If you're just like interested in music in general, mm-hmm. so there's per se no bad music. But uh, I get if you don't enjoy Justin Bieber as much as Metallica as a metalhead, you know? So, yeah. but uh, actually maybe Justin Bieber has some great songs. I don't know. I didn't listen to it, but <laughs> there a lot of people worldwide listening to it. So there must be something. Well, they're doing something, right? Yeah. I've never really listened to his music specifically, but I mean, he's a good singer and he yeah. obviously has the showmanship for it. So there's got to be something there that people have to let, that people latch on to. He's also a good drummer. I don't know if really? you know this. Oh. But uh, he used to work uh, as a studio drummer. Interesting. Yeah. Did he play any other bands? I don't know. There's on YouTube, you can find some clips, and he's in a studio just recording drums. And it was hmm. actually 
a lot of metal stuff, like, you know, a lot of double bass and, and uh, fast hi-hat stuff. And I was really impressed with that. I'll have to take a look at that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, just look it up. It's, it's fun. It's fun That's to watch. embarrassing because we're both from Canada. You think I would know a little bit of this. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> um, with Exile to the Surface, you worked with, and excuse me if I said his name wrong, but Par Olofsson. Um, mm -hmm. What was your experience like with him and why did you seek him out specifically? Um, we had like that 10 years anniversary box. Mm. And we released that in 2019 and he used to work uh, on that for us too. Okay. And so we took like the old cover from that box set mm -hmm. and did some progress on it. It's like a natural evolution from the old cover to the next one. Okay. So if you don't know the first cover from the box set, uh, just take a look. And there's like our guy, we call him the commander. Okay. And he's on every record. It's like our Eddie. And he's like summing that demon uh, on the box set. And now with this album, he summed it up uh, uh, like to, to the surface. Yep. And now they're fighting. And you got like the, this red line from the cover to cover. I kind of like the, the whole uh, metal mascot thing. Like, I know that some people think it's kind of cheesy, but I love it. It's, I mean, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, they've done it for decades. And so many yeah, other people course. have kind of followed suit. But I think it's cool when you can incorporate, um, when you can incorporate something consistent in each album cover. Yeah, I, I think that too. And if you look like at every artwork of us, mm -hmm. there's always the commander. And he's always keep a little bit of changes in it. So it's not getting boring. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're using different artists too. So like they're going to have their own take on the commander course, as well. Yeah. And I think that's a cool thing. So you don't know exactly what to accept. Mm -hmm. And uh, we worked with Ed Rapka on the third album mm -hmm. and get more that predator um, style on our commander. Mm -hmm. But the origin is, is from the Cenobites of Hellraiser, of the movie. Oh, that's cool. I do know it. I'm just looking here. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So you get the hooks in the mouth yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of Ed Repka, did you, were you guys aware of his um, of claims of plagiarism and stuff like that? Um, I saw it online. Mm -hmm. he, he did, uh, he reused some stuff. Uh, I, I get this. And, um, Actually, I'm a big uh, Ed Repka fan, but then I realized he, uh, he always keeps some copies and, and just re, re cooperated with it, it in new images and all the stuff. And if, you, uh, if you're familiar with our third record, with the Knee Deep in the Dead, there's that green demon ghost thing on it. And if you take a, a closer look, and it, there, there are some, I don't know, some faces, images, like in the fog stuff in it. And they, they look super familiar for me. So uh, I, I, I went to my record collection mm -hmm. and I've got that LP from Nico. It's called like Lethal, uh, Lethal Injection. And he did that uh, cover. I think the album is from 2003 or something. And that's nothing metal, but it's uh, he does like hardcore horror rap stuff. 
and also uh, had some cooperations with Hatebreed, Obituary, and all stuff. And if you see like that lethal injection, mm-hmm. they are the same faces, like the faces in the knee deep yeah. cover. So I was like, ah, goddamn, dude, that's like too, too much coffee. But well, yeah, he does it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, he's produced some like iconic metal covers over time. So bands like Death, uh, Three Inches of Blood, Gruesome, Hexen, Megadeth, and like Violence. So, I mean, granted, he's done a lot, but to reuse those assets, I guess, is kind of he's selling himself short. He does. And I think when we got in touch with him, mm-hmm. he wasn't so much interested in doing our work. He's more like in doing comic stuff, some sculptures. He also is doing all the artworks for a lot of metal bands too, but um, that's not his main point anymore. So you have to convince him a little. little. Do you think that maybe he moved away from the album covers because he was, uh, he was, I don't want to say found out necessarily, but because people started calling him out on the the plagiarism. And there's also the website, Sad But True Plagiarism in Heavy Metal Art. Um, Mm. it It showcases a lot of what he's reused and over time. I think there's no problem if you're using an image again and again, but you should add some changes. Totally. Otherwise, it's a little bit cheap because mm-hmm. this artist isn't cheap at all. No. So, and I would uh, just for the respect of the uh, for the art uh, to think he's sitting down and he's rethinking his his ideas, and maybe he has that super cool figure, and it's fitting for the artwork. But change it a little, mm-hmm. and not just yeah, I'm gonna copy the face and put it in there, and that's it. Well, especially because you want every iteration to be uh, something unique, something identifiable with your band. You don't want it to be associated yeah. with somebody else, especially in a different genre of music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you've already you've also worked with uh, guys like Andre Buzikov. Yeah, a lot. He's he's a great guy. He's super fun. That's yeah. what I've heard. I've heard he's uh, again pretty humble and very friendly. Yeah, I think he's um, not from Ukraine. Uh, he's living in, he used to live in California, I think. Then uh, he, uh, it's a funny story, an anecdote. Um, he did our second artwork, that Venomizer cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, when we released it, I was still studying and was super broke. And he wrote me an email. I was like, yeah, we're moving to Berlin. So because uh, California sucks nowadays and we want to go to Germany and I'm selling the original art. And I was dude, I want to have that Bonomizer covers like that too, like the front and the back. Yeah. And uh, I was super broke and I told him, dude, I really want to have to. So how much is it? And I think he, he wanted like 400 bucks or something. I was hey, can you send it over so, or, or just save it for me? And I, I bought it and uh, I was eating like two for two weeks, just canned tomato soup and old bread <laughs> to afford it. <laughs> so, but I got them. <laughs> that must have been a terrible couple of weeks. Well, you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine uh, getting used to tomato soup and bread, man. Uh, you, you're losing some weight, so it's like a benefit too. I guess there's that too, but you can always come back from it once you uh, of course, yeah. start making the money again. And just don't do that for a long time. I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, yeah it's not so good for you, buddy. Just quickly back to Ed Repka. If, if somebody like him was uh, called out for plagiarism or copying his own artwork, how do you think that somebody of that caliber can come back from those kind of accusations? Actually, I think he doesn't give a fuck. 
<laughs> because he's fucking famous. <laughs> uh, he does Mars attacks right now, I think. Like all the figures, mm -hmm. and uh, he's doing some sculptures. He's still a big one at Comic Con, mm -hmm. and there are still artists and musicians are coming back to him. So I think it doesn't affect him in, in any way. Yeah, I guess uh, once you reach a certain level, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. But to me, like if if somebody had, well, if I, I guess I wouldn't reuse my pictures. But at the same time, if I was called out for something like that, I would do my best to change it and try to make things original going forward. Yeah, I'm not familiar with his newest work, like his latest artwork for some bands. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he did something in in the past right now. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can gonna check that. And but but I still think um there are a lot of musicians who want who wanting a, a Ed Repka cover mm -hmm. because it's iconic. Mm -hmm. Very memorable. But I wouldn't go sure. back to him to get another one, you know. Yeah. And that's understandable. If you start to see like your album cover on other album covers, you're kind of pushed away from it. That's unfortunate too, because he's super talented. Like he has some wicked art. No doubt about it. But I think if you're at that certain point and you did like hundreds of hundreds of of covers, mm -hmm. um, and you got a library of good ideas, and you can just do like like a sticker album with it and just add some little stuff and still charging the same price for it. Mm -hmm. It's like financially good benefits. So I, I, I can understand why he's doing that, mm -hmm. but maybe there's a backslash with it. Yeah. I mean, you can still make money, but to me, I think, I don't know if I was going to go that route, I would definitely, I would charge a lot less if I was going to reuse assets or whatever, but I think like, yeah. After a long time, like you mentioned, like hundreds of al album covers, there has to be some creative block there, some sort of um, resistance, because you can only think of so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same with music. If you're like just recording a new album, and especially if I think of myself, um, with the, all the other bands, mm -hmm. and uh, you just release one album, wrote like 20 other songs, and you just get that, I don't know, your muse is just gone. Mm -hmm. So it's not like always there and you just, you can't force it. You're also a member of a few different bands. So you joined Reset and Wolfpack recently and I'm not too familiar with Hate Squad. Can you tell me a bit about those bands? Um, Hate Squad is actually a very old band. They immersed in the 90s mm -hmm. and they were super famous. Maybe remember that Trip Inc. tour with Death, Creator, Autopsy and Hate Squad. It was in the 90s something hmm. and um they, they got the prime time and i joined them because the chief of our label he uh, unfortunately died on cancer and oh, he okay. used to be the bass player in hate squad and okay. i'm friends with all of the guys for a long time so they just asked me and i felt very humble to to join them and just doing it out of respect for their old bases. And yeah, his name was Bauke de Kort, and he used to be our boss at our label. So it wasn't a question for me. I'm going to join you. I'm going to help you out. Mm -hmm. So we were in August, we were in Portugal. Mm -hmm. It's uh, some festivals with Hate Squad. Pessimist was there too. That was fun. So yeah, 
I'm, I'm the bass player, I would say the session bass player in Hate Squad. I also joined Reset in the early 21s, I think. Yeah, like for over a year now. And yeah, we were, we were friends before with Reset. We used to play like the same shows, tours and all stuff. So we all, all knew each other before. And I got that call from their management because uh, they released their new album, the Truth In Between. And I think 10 days before the release show, it was like a streaming show because of COVID. And the management called me. I was like, yeah, dude, Lawrence, how are you? What you doing? You want to join recent Because we have that release show. And I was like, yeah, dude, uh, how much songs? Yeah, only like 12 or 14, something like that. Only and I was like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I still got 10 days or something. And that's the release show. And that's no punk music. But uh, it worked out. And then they asked me to join the band. And I did, and uh, and it's super cool. Uh, we, we had some nice gigs already. Um, released a new EP, New World Murder, okay. this year in May. And now we're doing the songwriting for a new album. Mm-hmm. And I think we wrote like, oh, let me lie, like 20, 25 songs already. And now we're just picking like the best out of it mm-hmm. and uh, rework that, that. And maybe we're going to... Uh, join the studio in the end of the year or maybe in March next year. So we take our time with that. Yeah. They all do kind of a, a thrash metal approach to, to metal. So yeah, more speed, like... thrashy stuff, I think. It's not mm-hmm. the same like Trader. Trader is more like in, in your face, not so melodic. Mm. But it's fun to play with Reset because they are super musicians. Especially uh, at our drama, like the two guitars, Ricky and Fisher, they're like phenomenal. And I'm like the guy, I'm like, dude, fuck, I suck at everything. <laughs> but it's fun to, to play with them. So is it hard to balance your time between all four bands? I don't sleep so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's, it's more like um, I'm living in the south of Germany. Yep. Like maybe you heard about Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. So there's Porsche and Mercedes and all this stuff. And the, the recent guys are in Schleswig, like the northest part of North Germany. And yeah, when I'm visiting them just for rehearsing and producing music, I usually stay there for a week. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can't like drive, uh, drive like eight, uh, 800 kilometers or something mm-hmm. like that just for rehearsing. So uh, it's always like a longer term to stay there in the north. You do a lot of stuff, play some gigs, and then you meet again. And with Trader, they are like um, nearby, so mm-hmm. I can visit them like every week. With Hate Squad, it's the same. We're doing they're in Hanover, and um, we're doing the stuff like that. We have a gig. I'll be there like two or three days before, and we do the rehearsing. And after this, we're playing the gigs and we do like management stuff and all the other stuff, which is not so much fun. Mm-hmm. So you, you you're using the time. So you're kind of planning your time around around the gigs and around um, the practices yeah. for each band. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And, that and I think it's like more you're not meeting at the rehearsal room to practice your songs. Mm-hmm. That's like your task to do at home. Mm-hmm. So you're rehearsing. You're not practicing. So everybody oh, knows what you do, and you're just 
planning the shows and what songs is on the set list and you do the whole program so well and if everyone's putting in the same amount of effort at home if they're able to to practice rehearse the songs and get to know them then you don't have to waste as much time when you do get together uh learning how each other plays and stuff like that. exactly yeah. and it, I don't... it's like smooth yeah have you ever had any troubles with say with a bandmate not pulling their weight uh it's you know if, if you like in trader mm-hmm. um i'm the only guy who's doing music for a living mm-hmm. so they got other jobs but on the other end i've got the time to invest more mm-hmm. for it and if you go to or if, or let's say it like this like all the bands are companies and you have to do the work for the company like doing the taxes um getting in touch with the venues um doing interviews um writing songs and all the stuff and if you got more time for this you can more invest in it mm. and on the other hand it's like if you got your day job your nine to five you're coming home and it's not the first thing like sitting on your computer and writing for four hours to venues you know mm-hmm. and so i take a lot of these duties but I like it because it's part of the job. So it's more of a balance for you guys then, like because you have that time to invest that you're able to take on more responsibility, but they put in as much effort as they possibly can. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we're all on the same page with that and you invest what you can. So nobody gets like like angry if you don't have the time to come like to one rehearsal or mm-hmm. something like that. But if you can't make it to like six rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So we have to talk again. Well, you have to show that it's a priority. Yeah. Hmm. That wouldn't be too bad so long as like you guys have that understanding that say, um, you know, I'll take these duties, you guys take those. But if you guys don't, if you guys don't take those, then we're going to have some issues. Have you ever had to work through that? Yeah, it's like a family with everyone. <laughs> you know, you get ups and downs. Yeah, and of course. Sometimes you feel like you're doing all the stuff and and pushing the wagon out of the door mm-hmm. and the other guys are doing nothing but it's a lot of stuff you you can't see like what they're doing mm-hmm. if they're writing a new song and you rearrange it and, and all the stuff and yeah everyone has his duties and his tasks and uh, they do it sometimes perfectly sometimes it's like more hustle for them and the but you you on a common level on the same on the same page and you mm-hmm. want the same and you're gonna achieve that together. So it's Definitely. not a one man show. You can't do it on your own. That's just it. And everybody goes through those um, uh, those time frames where they're inspired or they're working really hard, but then they get tired and they want to pull back a little bit. It's nothing. It's not necessarily a bad thing so long as they get back on the train. Yeah, and uh, of course it's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. So so it's like you've got your day job, you've got kids at home. You want to spend some time with your family too. And uh, on the other hand, you're not as much at home as you could because yeah. of the bands. And they're investing the time also and the muse and their free time practicing hours. And they could do other stuff too. But uh, we're all on the same page. We all want to do the same thing. And we all love music and playing music. And mm-hmm. that's like a part of your life is just, it's just in there and you try to achieve it. And everyone has to be like, cool with it. And uh, there are times you can invest a lot of time in it. 
But on the other hand, there are some situations where it's not possible. But you can trust the other guys that they're going to pull back and uh, you're going to achieve something great. So it's all on the same page and great. And as long as that communication is there, it's really not an issue kind of moving past those uh, speed bumps. It's it's like a relationship. Yep. You have to talk about it. It really is. That's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a team. It's a family, like you said earlier. It's it's There's mm-hmm. give and take everywhere. Yeah. So as far as um, Exile to the Surface goes, do you guys have any tours planned? We did some shows and festival shows in the last weeks. So um, next week, we have like a short tour. Like it's only free shows. Mm-hmm. but cool festivals and it's just in Germany, but we still struggle with all that COVID stuff because the venues are still booked out and they have contracts from 2020 and oh, maybe the band's gonna join that gig and you can't uh, visit the venue and all stuff. I think it's gonna be more relaxed in 23. Mm. So, but we still think I think like playing 10 or 12 shows this this year with Trader and maybe some shows too with Reset. But um, there's a little tour planned in the end of the year in December. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not like everything is booked that I don't want to talk about because um, if it's not happening, it's like, yeah, this guy is just a liar. But actually, (laughs) we would be on tour with Sodom. Oh, be and fun. I really have to get back in touch with them and their management because I don't know if it's going to happen. They have it on their website, but yeah. I don't have the contracts now. Well, I mean, the worst thing they can say is no, and then next time you just pick it up where you left off? Yeah, of course. And actually, that's something from 2020. Mm-hmm. We planned that in 2019, and then COVID started. Yeah. So there was no chance to tour. To. Well, there's such a backlog of people, uh, bands wanting to go on tour, and it's just like I'm, I'm assuming it's the same in Germany, but like here, it seems like there's a a, a show to go through to at least once a week. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I, think I next... mean, um, we had it this year in the summer for the festival seasons. There were a lot of festivals on the same dates, hmm. and you can't cut yourself in half and visit Wacken and Rockhart mm-hmm. or something like on the same day. So uh, they just squeeze it in that short period of time mm-hmm. because we're all afraid of uh, autumn this year mm. because we got like new rules for COVID if the uh, the numbers are rising again. So they put it all like in two or three months and usually it's something like six months. Mm. I really hope that they don't start introducing more restrictions again. Yeah, like at least in Canada, it seems like we're kind of past the point of the paranoia and the, the the excessive lockdowns and the rules but I also understand on this on the other side of things that people need to stay safe and they just don't want to um, like overwhelm the healthcare system and stuff like that because people will visit the hospital even if it's not yeah. necessary but I think we don't have something like a like a hard lockdown mm-hmm. anymore because uh, everyone is vexed mm-hmm. and maybe there's some restrictions you, know, you have to wear a mask or something and I'm fine with that as long as we can uh, keep our, uh, open the venues or the festivals, maybe if a venue like has like thousand people in it and they're allowed for eight hundred, it's still like a benefit like money wise for them. Definitely. But if something like uh, usually you got thousand people in there and you're allowed to have two hundred, the promoters and the venues won't do that. 
because mm. it's nothing beneficial money-wise. You know, one thing I did like about the restrictions for the number of people is the fact that you could, it wasn't as packed sometimes. Like it was just way cooler to see a band and you could get a little bit closer to the stage. You could probably see them afterwards. And sometimes when it's so packed, like you can't even move. Just exactly something like that. I really enjoyed it. I also were um, visiting a lot of gigs and uh, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And we had that sitting concert, uh, which was super fun because you, you get like, a nice, super comfy chair, get some beers, can watch like the shows, and it was super fun. So I have nothing against it. But um, money-wise, if you have that menus, and I mean, you have to add the numbers. Yeah. So you have to pay the crew, you have to pay the bands, the catering, all the equipment, and you can't live from love and air. So That's you true. have to pay the bills. Exactly. So what do you feel or how do you feel about the um, like the streaming concerts when COVID was a thing? We did that too. And um, we just jumped on the wagon because we were like, do we doing our own stuff? And um, we visited the guys from Pripyat. Mm. Uh, it's a fresh band from Cologne in Germany. And Eugen, he's a guitar player. And he used to live <laughs> at a junkyard <laughs> and recorded it there and streamed it there. It was super nice. We were like three bands. We were with Wolfpack, Fabulous Disaster, and Trader. And we had a lot of press there and uh, a big party, and it was super fun. So we did that streaming stuff. And I think streaming is, is nice, especially a show like that. It's more different for the musician because you don't get any response. So was mm-hmm. it cool? Was it bad? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, if you just think about it, like um, you're located in Canada or something and you wouldn't pay like for a flight ticket and a car set ticket um, to, to visit a show because it's fucking expensive. Mm-hmm. And now you can just stream it from the living room. And I think that's beneficial for, for the fans worldwide. And like more something giving back to the fans too mm-hmm. and uh, I really enjoyed that it, it was experience but uh, if you ask me if I would do just streaming shows or live gigs I'm definitely just gonna do live gigs definitely there's there's something to be said about the atmosphere like with streaming I feel like I don't actually get the full impact or the feeling of being at the show and something about being at shows too is like there are some bands that you might not necessarily like but when they play live you start to kind of feel the music a bit more and then mm. i've actually started to enjoy um enjoy bands based on their live performance as opposed to their albums so i, I don't think streaming would hit it the same way maybe you can do s- a combination like if you have like a super cool release show mm-hmm. maybe you can edit like you do a live gig and for the other fans worldwide maybe they're from Cambodia or something yeah you can mm-hmm. stream it yeah, it's so a great idea. You get a piece of the cake. Definitely. So for people looking for your music, um, where's the best place for them to find it for you? And go to Spotify, Tidal, Napster, like any streaming site of your choice. We are on everyone. And if you really want to support us, you can buy a CD in our shop or vinyl, a shirt or something, or just come to a show. Sounds great. Well, I hope to look. All right, I look forward to seeing you sometime in Canada. I'm definitely down to do that. I would love to go now, because um, my dad he we or we used to have 
there's some family friends there in Montreal mm -hmm. and maybe they're visiting Vancouver and all the cities there. So, and Canada is super uh, similar to Greenland. Like if you're just like watching uh, or the, the environment there, Mm -hmm. Like with the how you call it Mackenzie, the Mackenzie fields and all that stuff, mm. that, that would be very interesting for me. So I would be totally down for that. Well, let me know if you have a tour lined up or if you end up planning on coming over. And uh, yeah, I'd love to meet up with you. Yeah, we have some beers. Definitely. <laughs> all right, man. Well, it was good to chat. I definitely hope to have you on again in the future. And um, is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Um, thank you for the interview, Jeff. Thank you, Giro Nation Medal. Um, if you enjoyed our talk, uh, visit www.cradle-band.de. Um, go to our socials, interact with us, and we're happy to see all of you at the show. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.